Brad, I had a hell of a day yesterday, and I want to oh. tell you about it. Uh, but first, I want to lead with the caveat that I am okay, and I think my dog is okay, but it was a hell of a day, and it's it has ruined me the last 24 hours. You had a harrowing experience. Harrowing is the—yes, actually, yes. I will say yes. that. It was—, it was Sudden and it was harrowing. So yeah. my dog is 15, 16 pounds. He's a very happy dachshund, sweet as can be, as you know. All he wants yeah. is love and snuggles in, in his life. And uh, so we give that to him. He's very nice. We're out for a walk, my wife and I, yesterday. And all of a sudden, this older woman, 65, 75, uh, from across the street, about 300 yards in front of us, starts waving her arms. And I think she's saying, look out, there's radon. And I was like, why is she warning me about radon? You know, the gas? Radon. The, yeah, I thought she was saying there was a gas leak. Uh, she was waving. What she was trying to say is, look out for that dog. And this, <laughs> all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this giant 80-pound dog <gasps> grabs my dachshund by the soft underbelly and starts thrashing yeah. him, right? Bang! And I I can't describe this other than say that it all happened so fast that I did not have time to think. So yeah. a couple things happened very quickly. My wife, who is not a physical person, grabbed this 80 pound dog and I was like dang uh, she grabbed the 80 pound dog and I without thinking I'm screaming no at this dog and he's not letting go and so I honest to god there was zero rationality to this you know when they yeah. say like in like crime scenes where things happen and you have no memory or, or cause to do it yeah. I was not a thinking person but I start punching the dog in the in the head because I was like right. you gotta let go and I couldn't get I couldn't get him to let go by yelling at him so he's, and he's thrashing my, my dachshund um, so then this is the dumbest part of all Totally without thought. The thing, the, the one thing they always tell you to do as an adult and as a human is you don't get between two dogs and you don't get your hands near their jaw. I right. grab both ends of his jaws with my hands and I force it open, right? Because, you know, the, the uh, teeth are. Well, he's, he's actively sinking his teeth into my dog. He's got, oh. Oh, my poor little guy's got four puncture wounds. But the dog bites the hell out of my hand. I don't know if you can see it. I've got a bunch of burst blood vessels on, all over my hand. Yeah. And thank God he didn't break the skin, but. What a stupid thing for an artist to do! Why did I put my hands into an 80-pound mean dog's mouth? Risk. Oh, it's yeah, such a stupid thing! So yeah. uh, only afterwards did I think like, oh, I should have kicked him in the balls or I should have gone for his eyes or something, you right. know? Like, I was punching yeah. him in the side of the head. I should have tried to punch him in the eyes. But uh, all of that is like, I don't want to be a mean person. I don't actively think about how I'm going to attack a dog. Like, right. I, right. I feel terrible even for having had to do that. And so, uh... All this to say is, what a stupid move that as an artist, I put my hands into a dog's mouth and forced open his jaw like a dummy. I mean, I, I, yeah. I know that it was... Uh, anyway, uh, you know, oh what, as God. a parent, you get this. There are moments yes. where you do things as a parent where you all of a sudden can lift a car to save your kid. You know, you're like, yes. you'll, you'll throw your yes. own back out to move an object or something. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I had no time to think. It surprised oh. the hell out of me because the first thing is a 75-year-old woman yelling at me from across the street like, look out for the radon. And as I'm pro processing, radon. why is she yelling me about radon? And then all of a sudden, a dog is on my dog. And, oh, boy, what a day. So it was a wow. whole day at the, at, the, at the emergency hospital where he's getting little stitches and, and getting a little cone on and all that sort of stuff. And oh, 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 oh. Uh, poor dude. Now, do, you, do you recognize this dog? Do you know who the no, dog is? No, we've never seen him before. To? It apparently is... It apparently is kept in the in the uh, yard. Oh man, I had yeah. a lot of choice words for the guy afterward. But uh, anyway, oh, so you did talk to the owner. I talked to the owner because I wanted to make sure that he had, the dog was up on his all his shots and had rabies and everything before I took him to the vet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, um, 
All this to say, Brad, is like, I put my artist's hands into a dog's mouth. Oh. And listen, I paid the price. It's gonna be it's gonna be painful to draw today with the son of a bitch. But yeah. uh like thankfully he didn't pierce the skin or, or hurt any tendons of my of my drawing hand. But what a dumb well, thing and, to do. And if the if the animal is like that too, uh, the owner really needs to keep it in in either on a leash or in fenced uh areas, because it would be so easy for that dog to get into something that's not safe for it, for the dog's own safety. Listen, I mean, you know. if, it, if I was a different kind of person, I would I would say, look, maybe you got to call animal control because you can't have a dog that's just actively attacking other dogs on, on the street. But I'm yeah. not going to be a dick about that and, and no, have somebody's no. dog put down. Neither would I. Neither would uh, I. You, 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 listen, the last thing you want to do is put a couple drops of antifreeze into a bowl of water. Stuff like that can, can kill oh, a dog Brad. outright. Brad. <laughs> oh, my God. If you want to, if you want to talk about a thousand dollar stomach pump bill, my pug got into antifreeze one time. My yeah. old pug, and boy, that was an expensive stomach pump for me. Was was getting him to the vet. Oh, dogs are expensive. Dog, you love them so much, but they're so expensive. Even yesterday's veterinary bill, I was like, good God, you guys are enjoying Ooh. that BMW. I see. All right, well, good for you. Yeah. Oh my God, that's that's that's. I I mean I I I've I've got the shakes on your behalf. Just hearing that, you know, gets your adrenaline going. It's like you you. I don't like these uh, these kind of stories where that, somebody's in pain. That's the thing. My adrenaline and then post crisis adrenaline was so high that I didn't realize that my right hand was hurting like hell until yeah. honest to God, like two or three hours later. And then yes. I was like, "Geez, my drawing hand is really what, killing me." What did I do I was to like, my oh, hand? Because a dog bit the hell out of my hand. <laughs> 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 Uh, so anyway, wow. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go down and talk to the guy again today and, uh, and have a serious heart to heart about that, that dog might need to be put down. Cause it's 11. I think it probably has a little bit of dementia. I'm not sure. Yeah. And it's attacking other dogs. And that is, that's not. Well, and, 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 and how did the lady across the street know, unless the dog had done something that she. Exactly. Uh, that's I, uh, the, the, the strong insinuation was that that dog had been menacing prior to this. Yeah. So it's not, this is not a good situation. Well, all this to say is my whole day yesterday was oh. was uh, at the veterinary hospital. So today I'm going to deal with all the post. Uh, like, listen, I got to go talk to a, like an adult to a bunch of other adults and tell them things they don't uh. want to hear. And have that uh. conversation that you shouldn't have to have in the first place. Yeah, but place. It's, it goes back to that question that uh, that um, we had a few weeks back that what do you do when a whole day gets eaten up and you can't work? As the thing is, you got to roll with it. Uh. That's life. We all have. Yeah. Yep. You've got We it. all you have just a, a momentary uh, crisis that you've got to deal with. But yeah. um, uh, anyway. <laughs> What a terrible, what a terrible well, topic I, to start the show with. I think I speak on behalf of everyone in the audience today. We're wishing the very quickest recovery for the uh, for the uh, unofficial third member of Comic Lab podcast, Ollie. Yeah, he's doing good. He's he is drinking yeah. water and he's taking food, which is good. Uh, yeah. That's a good sign. Yeah. So I will keep you updated on how he's doing. And on that unhappy note of your local uh, neighborhood artist here putting his hands into an eighty-pound dog's mouth, I will say <laughs> oh hello, God. everybody, and welcome to Comic Lab, the show about making bad decisions while making comics <laughs> <laughs> and saving a poor Dotson's life. My name is Brad Geiger. I'm editor of WebComics.com and the creator of Evil Inc. And I'm his pal, Dave Kellett, cartoonist of Drive and Sheldon and co-director of the comic documentary Stripped. And this week's hour of comics advice is made possible by your support at patreon.com slash comic lab. So Dave, Dave, let's talk comics. 
Let's talk comics, my friend. And I want to uh, remind everyone, uh, as we are into the month, that uh, you can now watch the show live. It's called Comic Lab Live Gab. It's available to everyone at the patreon.com slash comic lab level of $10. And uh, the joy of it really is seeing uh, how ridiculous we can mess up at times and make one another laugh off, sort of off camera, if you will, uh, before the show, during the show and after the show. Yeah, it's turning into a nice opportunity. Also, we're we have a little chat with the uh, with the attendees uh, before the show. We usually right. re- record the show in two halves. So there's while we're getting the second half all uh, ready to go, we uh, uh, have a chance for a little question and answer or whatever's on people's mind at that point. Uh, before the show, we are having an excellent conversation about Lil Abner and uh, and Al Cap. Uh, and, and so it's really kind of a, a building out of the, of the actual show and it's turning into a lot of fun. So, and I think Brad, if I could be so bold as to make this assumption on your part, I think we are both wearing our dad bod t-shirts today. Are we not? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we are. Yes, we are. I, I brought my a game today. I tell you what, it's, it's a shame that no one else can see, uh, from, from nipple down because what great physiques, this is tremendous. COVID COVID did not at all impact our. Our overall shape over the last 15 months. I wanted to get one of those uh, t-shirts and cause it, it said, Oh yeah, it, it makes you look stronger up. It, it makes you look like you've got more of a chest. Right. They, they actually, uh, uh, one person likened it to a male version of a wonder bra, but in reverse, it, it gives you a powerful upper body and then diminishes the lower body. <laughs> and I put it on and I walked in the <laughs> living room and, and I said, well, to my wife, what do you think? She looks up from her coffee, says, nah, you're still fat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All the honesty of a long-term marriage. Oh, it cuts. Oh, yeah. It cuts to the bone. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, I like that you and I both opted for happy colors because uh, I I, I, yep. I would have thought that both of us, knowing us, would have gone for the uh, the black and the dark, dark, dark blues. But you have a bright yellow. I have a I'm assuming I'm colorblind. I'm assuming this is a fairly uh, a magenta uh, tone. It's red. It's it's, it's, it's it's actually a brick red uh, over from reading over here. It looks thank like you for a helping your colorblind friend. Brick. That was nice of you. Yeah. I appreciate that. Well, with this gorgeous dark hair, I wearing yellow, I always stand out. <laughs> Dave, I got to tell you, I've been having so much fun on TikTok. <laughs> oh God! Other than other than torturing my kids, now that I know what all the memes are. Uh, but I I did I, I I posted a video just recently that I got such an interesting response from that I thought it would be fun to talk about it on the show. And what right. I said was this. As an artist, you have a choice in who you accept criticism from, which is a pretty bold statement, it Ah, turns out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, as for me, speaking only for myself, I choose to accept criticism from two sources. The first source uh, is people who are on a similar journey as mine. What what was that that word? a sim- a I know. I was hoping you weren't going to notice. I, <laughs> I, I hate to, I hate to interrupt, Brad, but I think I think the word is not <laughs> I similar. How, I know how you hate to interrupt. <laughs> a similar journey is mine. Who I uh, actively ask for their uh, thoughts, right? And I said that specifically because that's an art school critique. And I know I'm talking to some younger people there, right? So I didn't want to start this whole. Well, I I choose not to listen to your criticism. So I said, listen, people who are on a similar journey, who I reach out to, to get their feedback, that's one. Mm-hmm. Number two, 
People who have a demonstrated work in the field that I respect, that's number two. Gotcha. I, will, I will accept criticism from those two sources. I said, now listen, there's a few things that are not on that list. Number one, comments from individual readers. That's number right. one. Right. And number two, uh, people who set themselves up as critics on websites, podcasts, YouTube, so on and so forth. Those people have absolutely, especially if these critics have uh, no demonstrated work in my field. <laughs> in other right. words, if you want to talk to me about comics and tell me what I should be doing differently, you better point to a pile of comics that you've been writing or drawing or hopefully both uh, before, before I'm going to take you seriously in a conversation. And some website critic or some critic on YouTube or, or, or on a podcast uh, they they can make all the comments they want, but I have a choice in what I listen to. Right. <laughs> and I never listen to these people because invariably, invariably, there are people who failed at my thing and right. now they want to participate in some way. So they're going to be a critic. Ah, great. You're going to be a critic now. It's very much that Ratatouille scene, isn't it? Of like the critic, yeah. uh, the critic as artist. Yeah, very um, much. Very much. Yeah, so so. I, I compare. I First of all, I like this as a topic. I like this as an idea. Yeah. This is a, this is a good insight because I think without having verbalized it, I do the same where I sort of let a certain number of people with certain conditions through the filter of la 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 fingers in my ears. I'm not listening to you. Right. Yeah. You obviously are one of them. If you were to call me up and be like, listen, I uh, can you take some criticism? I've got I know it's unsolicited and I've got some thoughts on the thing you're doing. Right. <laughs> and of course, I would say, no, all joking aside, I would say, you know what? Yes, I would like to hear from Brad Geiger. But if yeah. a reader uh, sends me a 12 paragraph email about what I'm doing wrong. Yeah, I like to Brad's point, unless I'm seeing a. Uh, I don't know how to say it other than a wave of very similarly themed emails of Dave, you have yes. done this thing wrong or Dave, this approach yes. is wrong. I will go, okay, that's one note. That's one, that's one note in a symphony and the other, the rest of the symphony is not there. So I'm just going to acknowledge that note and, and move it past, right. you know, that kind of thing. Right. So, um, but I will say this though, I, I equate this line of thinking about criticism a little bit like friendships. Mm -hmm. And here's what I mean. I think one of the reasons why people progressively get happier in their 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s is is not first they get more accepting of themselves, which is good. But also yeah. I noticed a great winnowing in my 20s and then again in my 30s of quote unquote friends that mm -hmm. did not make me happy made yeah. me make bad decisions or they themselves continually embroiled me in drama that I did not want to be embroiled in. And so yeah. you sort of window out of like, you do not, it's sort of a self-respect thing. You do not make my life better. You know, you do not, right. you are a net drain on my energy. You are a, a net, uh, a, a reducer of joy, a reducer of positivity, a reducer of optimism. And all of that sounds cold and calculating. What, what I'm saying is you actually get to the friends like Brad, who I come away from this hour, Brad, even though I'm having a bad asthma morning and my dog got attacked yeah. yesterday, yeah. I'm going to come after this hour with more, a net plus energy than I had going in because I love your positivity. I love your energy. I love what you contribute to me in my life. I'm, I'm saying this as a friend, but I'm also saying like, yeah. that's also what criticism should be. Criticism should want the best for you, not wanting just to tear you down, but want to genuinely see you improve. And so that's right. why I think in part we limit it to certain kind of peers, certain kind of, uh, you know, uh, specific people who have done the work, I guess, is one way of saying yes. it. Yes. 
And and so we let those in. Keep going. Now I, I got yeah. off a little bit on your well, topic. I so mean, keep going. Uh, just just to go back and put a capper on your uh, note versus symphony. It's a variation of Geiger's law of reader interaction. Never listen to a reader. Always listen to your readers. Right. Yeah. If I get the same kind of uh, feedback from a number of readers, well, then I'd be silly to not listen to it. Right. 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 Now, now that's and now I'm hearing a pattern. And if you want to succeed in doing something that has a transaction uh, variant to it, like doing a comics business, then you need to pay attention to patterns. Right. right. So right. there's that. But here's now here's the interesting thing. I, we're all on the same page here. Uh, but I start uh, this was one of the few TikToks that I've done that got the most uh, pushback. And it was, I got a lot of people telling me that I was wrong for saying that. And, and that I, and, and I want, <laughs> I'm wondering if you could guess what each one of those persons had in common. <laughs> can I, can I ask you, wait, so this is about the TikTok specifically saying about criticism and about specific critics. Right. So specifically what I said was before you criticize me, you got to take the time to learn about what I'm doing. You have to take some time to, to educate yourself yeah. and then I'll take a criticism, but you just can't come in with your, I don't know art, but I know what I like and give me criticism. There was a big pushback on that specific point, And each of these people had something in common. <laughs> Would you like to guess? Can I can I take a stab at it that they were all bloggers slash critics on their own right? Is that well? One of them I did follow up was clearly that, but there they were there was another thing. They were all people that looked just like you and me. They were all white people presenting male. <laughs> okay, and these this each one of them had a real problem with tell with my telling them that their opinion just because they had an opinion wasn't valuable to me that until they took the term to learn about what I was doing. Right. Okay. And, and a lot of them, two of them actually used the same example. And that was, are you telling me I can't go into a restaurant and tell them that the food's too salty? Well, <laughs> and of course I never respond to this stuff uh, because that's dopey. But the answer to the question is, of course you can. Of course you can say my food's too salty. Uh, by the way, it's the difference between a, a service industry like a restaurant and uh, something that we're building like a, a comic business. Right. But that's OK. I'll, I'll allow you the straw man. Of course, you can go in and say that your food's too salty. And I'll even go this far. Uh, if they value your return business, the next time you walk in, they, they should have somebody uh, you should a be able to say, hey, last time I was here, the food was too salty. And that chef. Uh, if they rev uh, if they value you coming back, maybe pulls back on the salt a little bit for your dish. But if you expect that chef to hear you say that the food's too salty and go scampering back to the kitchen to change the recipes for the entire restaurant, you've got an overinflated self-importance uh, self problem. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and by the way, if you if you have any problem with that, I'll just wrap this real up because I want to no. hear what you think about this. As an artist, if you have problems with that, stop and think. This person who's saying, I, what are you telling me that I can't say the food's too salty? Remember, the guy at table three is telling their wait staff, my food's too sugary. 
And the person at table four is saying, my food's too spicy. And the person at table five yes. is saying, yes. you see yes. what I say? If if you were actually, to, to if you go down that road, you're going to be serving bread and water. Yeah. And and getting complaints about the bread and water. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Well, that's this is exactly what I was going to say was, so if if you want to take this from someone who has done put a lot of this out in the world, I've done I don't know uh, I haven't done the math in a while, but it's it's definitely over forty five hundred comics uh, in the public eye, maybe five thousand comics in the public eye now. Yeah. Uh, and I will self admit that I for the most part keep it G and PG, right? Mm-hmm. And it's pretty much family fair, especially for those that know oh. Sheldon, right? Yeah. And yet I get emails complaining about this or that and and how dare you attack, I don't know, uh uh uh, uh, Nero. Nero was a great emperor and how, you know, like no matter what the topic is, someone has a complaint about that, you yeah. know? And yeah. the thing is, if I listen to that, if I course correct to that, I'm constantly yeah. shifting to the wind. Whereas the better thing is to know who you are, know what you want to say, be confident in what you want to say, and then also have the confidence to stand your ground by saying like, no, that's what I want. I, that is exactly what I wanted to say. Now, that's, yeah. that's not narcissism of never changing the path. As Brad said, listen to your readers, listen to yes. your trusted critics, uh, listen to your own ethical and moral center where you where you have to be able to say, oh, I, I went wrong there or, oh, this was this was a misstep because we've all had those, too. But what I'm saying is on a day to day basis. If you allow the crowd, meaning individuals in the crowd, to make your decisions yeah. for you, you will be ever shifting, uh, will not find your voice, and uh, frankly, please no one. That's the, that's another part of the problem. Yeah, yeah, you're going to be chasing your tail the whole time. Uh, chasing it, your it, tail, it, yeah, you, exactly. Part of part of how you get better is is by developing a, a discernment of of who you're going to listen to. A discernment. <laughs> <sighs> A discernment. <sighs> you got to you got to have a discerning quality. And I, I like and, how and you by added. The way, go ahead. Going, keep going. No, no. I was going to say you added a lovely e in there, like like it was uh, <laughs> discernment. Discernment. Uh, that was great. So so here's the thing. So uh, as as Dave rightly points out, sometimes uh, you might hear something and it'll be well. I don't want to listen to that again. Like I said at the beginning, at the very top, you have a choice on what you listen to. Mm-hmm. Sometimes part of the whole back and forth on this is sometimes you will hear something that turned out to be good advice that you right. that you decided not to take, whether right. it was from an individual reader or a critic or a, a, a peer or a professional, I, no matter what. Sometimes you'll get valid criticism or invalid criticism, criticism that you wish you would have taken 10 right. years down the road. Right. I can I can absolutely point to a number of criticisms that I that 10 years later I wished I would have listened to. Okay. And I'll say that to my wife. And I'll say, ah, I wish I could go back and just listen to that criticism and change what I did. Right. I could have gotten a, I could have gotten things in line uh, a lot more sooner. And my wife always says the same thing. You couldn't have done it. If you could go back in time, it would be easier for us to try uh, to build a time machine than it would to change a younger Brad Geiger's mind about what he was doing at that time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The time machine is the easier task to accomplish. You could go back in time and talk to that earlier version of yourself. You'd never be able to convince him. No. And part of that is sometimes you need, there's certain things I'm convinced you just need to learn on your own. 
Yeah. Uh, the younger Brad Geiger honestly would look at you and go, sit down before you fall down, old man. I don't need to listen <laughs> yes, to you. I'm living my own life. Yes, he would. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I think about that all the time when I'm giving younger people advice. It's it's like, would, would a young Brad Geiger listen to this? I, I would hope so. No. I would I would really hope so, but I wouldn't bet money on it. Yeah, but frankly, it's it's like touching a hot stove. Sometimes you need the stronger yeah. lesson of having made the mistake and having. Yeah, yes. but anyway, I what's what's interesting too is is uh, this is a clarification on another point too is that you can have a friend that you trust. You trust both the the body of work that they produced. You trust mm -hmm. the insight. You trust their goodwill towards you and your work, right? But you can still say, you know what? In this category of my life or in this category of my work, I, yep. I don't want advice from this person on that. And that's yeah. sort of, uh, a, a, frankly, a, a bit of adulthood that you you gain by. Like, uh, Brad could say, I love Dave. I love that he has my best interest at heart with his criticism. I am yeah. not going to take a criticism on how I do X, Y, Z from Dave, right? Right, right. Or you just, you just might say, I've got, I've got my, I, I know how I want to do it. Right, right. <laughs> you know, it just, I, 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 we both do that when we do a writer's room, you know, we come up with what, what we, we end the show and it's like, I've got a perfect uh, picture in my mind, or you've got a perfect picture in your mind. And then what ends up coming out, it might be different on a thousand little itty bitty uh, points, but at the end of the day, you've got to be your own person. You know, right, you've right. got to do this it, it, because that's why you're successful yeah. <laughs> because yeah. you made choices and you've made consistently good choices. Right, <laughs> so right. that's part of the whole thing is, is, is you also, when it comes to criticism, you also have to make choices. It's interesting too, because, uh, some lessons, like let's say there was a bit of advice that I, you know, I, I personally was like, I love Brad. I love his best intentions for me. I love his insights. This one bit of advice I'm not going to follow. We all have as friends yeah, that yeah, kind yeah. of thing happen, right? What's interesting, though, is that you always got to be careful not to be so closed off about a certain thing that Brad's advice isn't still sticking in the back of your head. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And that, because that eventually leads four years, five years, ten years down the road to go, you know what, Brad was right. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> but it's good to have that voice in there because if they're trusted, if they've put in the work and they have your best interest at heart, you do want to keep that in the back of your head. You don't want to just discount it. Like if Brad told me, and there are things that Brad told me years ago, months ago, that yeah. I've not told you, Brad. I'm looking at you right now saying I've not told you, but they've stayed in my brain. The criticisms have stayed in my brain, even though I didn't act on them, because it is one of the voices that I now listen to in the back of my brain when I'm sort of making decision is the, you know what, Brad did say that though. Let's at least consider it. And that's, I think, a healthier way to go do it than like, I love Brad. I'm not going to take his advice about X, Y, Z. You go, you know what though? He did have my best interest at heart and he is, yeah. he has put in the work and he does, uh, you know, he's genuinely trying to help. And so let's consider it. So it's yeah. an interesting balance, but I, I think you were really right to bring this up. Now, do you, in general, did this one go over well on TikTok? I love, oh, I, I'm like the, uh, the, the friend wanting to hear about your relationships. How'd it go? <laughs> Tell me how the date went. How'd your TikTok Overall, do? It, it, it's so, it, it's so wonderful to be speaking to a lot of younger art, a, a, a lot of younger artists whose response is, Oh my God, I, di I didn't know I had permission to think this way. <laughs> you right. know, that's really kind of the, uh, the, the, I'd say 70% of the responses I get is 
I never, I, I never knew this was an option, yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. and there are some people who are saying, oh, this feels so good because not so recently, this one person said, I posted uh, some writing that I spent a lot of time on and uh, uh, three people came on and told me that it sucked. And I said, I, I wrote back, I said, that's not criticism. That's abuse. <laughs> that's a two, that's a completely different topic. Right, now we're right. not even talking about criticism. If somebody just says, oh, that stinks or that sucks. That's not, that's not even criticism. That's abuse. And you don't, you never, and then I had to give my whole speech about suffocating bad online comments. Can I, can I tell you this? Uh, because this, just for a second, dipping our tone of the topic of abuse, I, as you know, put out a family-friendly comic. So my comments on and around and underneath my comic tend to be pretty uh, lovely and, and positive. Yeah. But three or four times I have blocked people from my site and my comments and my forums, right? And yeah. what I found fascinating, I think I told you about this, was... There was one guy who was repeatedly being a dick, not only to me, and I can take that, so I didn't care. You know, I yeah, won't block you necessarily yeah. for that. But he was being a dick to other people. And I was like, nope, nope, we're not having that. You don't you don't get to, to make this an unwelcoming place. And so yeah. I blocked him. And what's fascinating is, I think I've told you this, about every six to 12 months, he'll email me being like, hey, can I be... Can I be allowed back on the the forum? And I was like, "What is this? What do you What do you want from this situation? Like, no, you cannot. You can't. You can't come into my living room, knock over all the drinks, uh, set yeah. fire to my couch, and be like, hey, can I come back into your house? No, you were a dick. You don't get to come back yeah. in. No, no, and, not and, at all. And by the way, if you, it, it, it's not like you've got a hair trigger on that either. This, this no, got, I gave this him, got exactly. to this point. Yeah, but when you had time after time after time, chance after chance, at some point it's over. You're yeah. you're done. <laughs> and you don't come back. What's interesting about that is it's a version of if you don't give trolls oxygen, then then yeah. it, it removes the fire. If there's an mm -hmm. abusive person in your form and you just remove them. It's like, no, that was my energy powering me. No, that was my oxygen. Yeah. Uh, there's, yeah. I, I deserve, it was A, I deserve to say this. And B, it was a weird form of like, people need to hear what I have to say. And it's like, what's wrong with you? It's kind of like you, it's, yeah. it's always mansplaining energy. It's like, dude, you gotta, you gotta chill this out. Yep. Uh, and that, I, I, it, that's, uh, uh, when I talked about it, I said, people say mean things on the internet so they can savor your response. And I chose those words purposely. Uh, purposefully yeah they yeah, want yeah. to savor your response <laughs> and if you don't give them that and by the way it's a, it's a lot more complicated than i'm making it in this in this moment but uh, to a certain extent if you don't give them that experience mm -hmm. they'll go find somebody else to savor yes you know i yes. really do believe and it, it, it to it, at a certain level of of internet abuse that's uh, that's a really good tool that you could use Absolutely. Yeah, it's 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 the standard. Uh, just remove the oxygen by removing any sort of feedback that you can give them. And it's yeah. it is effective. It's surprisingly effective. Like it'll they'll maintain the energy for one or two more posts or one or two more weeks. And uh, then it just kind of quietly fades away, which is great. Uh, but uh, Brad, let's move on to the next topic, because I want to talk to you about um, Kickstarter add ons. Hey, if you're listening while you work, take a minute to stand and stretch. And while you're doing that, we're going to tell you why you should join us on Patreon. When you do, you're going to get hours and hours of podcasts that we've recorded just for backers. And exclusive Patreon posts that go even deeper on Comic Lab topics. And access to our exclusive Discord server, which is a thriving community of professional cartoonists. So you can support the show you love and get tons of actionable resources for your own cartooning. 
And listen, if you can't swing a pledge this month, we get it. No worries. Yeah, yeah, listen, you can still support the show by rating us wherever you get your podcasts. Just leave a five-star review and a few kind words. That, along with mentions on social media, is incredibly helpful. Now, everybody, let's talk comics. So Kickstarter has taken a little bit of a page from BackerKit in that now yeah. when you uh, start or structure a campaign, you can say, hey, everybody, that's me, Brad Geiger, everybody's pal. I'm kickstarting a new Evil Ink book. Oh, okay, you want to get the, the $30 book or do you want to get the $40 hardcover? Okay, great. You're all set. Oh, wait a minute. As you're checking out and about to give us your uh, credit card information, would you like an add-on? And now people yeah. can add on all sorts of things. So uh, Beth and I uh, are in the process of structuring my next drive Kickstarter, which should happen somewhere, I think, in June, July, something like that. Mm. And uh, I wanted to talk to you about it because we are coming up against an interesting logistical wrinkle that is not easily solved, but I think you and I with conversation can work our way around it. So here's the problem. So Kickstarter can allow you to put anything as an add-on. You can put Evil Link stickers, Evil Link credit, uh, uh, magnets, Evil Link books, Evil Link uh, tote bags, whatever Brad Geiger wants to add on, right? But it doesn't account for shipping as an additional cost to whatever those things go into the cart. So a lot of people are doing the method of like, much like Backer Kid, it's like you will pay for the shipping all at the end. I have to tell you, part of my own personal guilt, I can't sell to someone on an international level and then say, and good luck, because you're about to get hit with a $60 unexpected bill. You know, that yes. kind of thing. I can't yes. do it. I can't yeah. I can't be that guy. Like, I'm not as worried about sending to any U.S. destination because if it's $4 to ship you the book or $5 to ship you the book, whatever it is, uh, I feel okay if I have to then uh, either eat the cost by adding in magnets, postcards for a couple extra cents, right? That's not a big deal. Mm -hmm. um, or I would have to somehow maybe add on a dollar or two. But if yeah. you if you kickstart an Evil Ink book and get one book and then in, in the add-ons you add on a second hardcover, that mm -hmm. can add on $20, $30, $40 shipping to Australia or New Zealand or Taiwan Yes, That's not cool. And I don't know how to process that, you know, as far as planning. So now, a let me ask you this. In backer kit, when you set up the add-ons, you set up a uh you, you give the each of them a weight. And so when the person adds on the extra items, uh, it also adds on extra postage. Right. So you right. don't get slammed. In other words, uh, it, it sounds like it does Kickstarter not have this set up for their version of add-ons as far as I can tell. And, uh, now listen, uh, half informed Dave can tell you that this might be uh, an open beta or just a post, like the first yeah. round launch of this device or this service. So it may be that they will eventually add in even best guest shipping would be, I think, fairer of like, listen, I noticed you're in Australia and you just added all 10 Sheldon books into your add-on cart. Are you sure you want to do that? Because it's going to add on 50 to 80 bucks to ship this to Australia. You know what I mean? That kind of yeah. thing. I don't, yeah. I don't feel good saying like, Hey, great. You backed the new drive book. That's going to be 25 bucks to ship it to Australia. Oh shit. You also got all 10 Sheldon books as add-ons. That's going to be 50, 60, 70 bucks additional. And yeah. this is a surprise yeah. to you and to me. Here we go. Let's try to get this money from you so I can send you these books. Like that's a whole yeah. rigmarole of I, I don't know how I'm going to deal with that. You know? Yeah. No. It's it, and and it makes it difficult. Uh, it, it's difficult enough uh, if you're doing it through Backer Kit, where they're actually uh, fine tuning that expense 
Right. So, so you're not putting a flat expense on, uh, which you're either going to get screwed on or screw somebody else on, <laughs> you know, uh, there's only one thing I will say there in that at some point you said, uh, it's a fee that the overseas buyer is going to get surprised by. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure. I mean, I'm sure there's one or two people in your audience that are going to be surprised by that expense. But most of them either have bought from you in the past or have dealt with this kind of situation, whether mm-hmm. it's Kickstarter or, you know, Patreon or just buying something from Amazon or or whatever it is. Uh, they understand that right. they're going to incur certain shipping uh, costs. If they've ever made a purchase from the U.S., they know it's yes. going to be a ridiculous shipping yeah. cost. Yeah, I get and that. And they take that into effect before they uh, before they pull the trigger on buying that extra stuff. It also, I guess another way of saying this is that it also adds just a whole nother layer of logistics post campaign for Beth and I to now figure out. Because I guess what I'm saying, Brad, is Beth and I have it locked down where like you got a book, a a print, two magnets and a pin. Right. We know Mm -hmm. exactly how much that's going to cost to the U.S., to Canada, to Mexico, to uh, the EU, to Australia, to New Zealand. You know what I mean? Different spots. We know exactly what it's going to be. But if we have this thing where everything's higgledy piggledy at the end of a campaign, I can just tell everyone involved that this is going to be logistically more of a huge pain in the ass or just a lot more math up front in, into what's already a, a math heavy process of making sure. So here, here was the solution that I was thinking of. Yeah. Um, I could make add-ons because I already have one tier that's for international buyers only of the drive book. And I, the reason I'm doing that is it's drop shipped. There's no uh, signature for me. So it's not shipping to the U S to ship back out right. of the U S there's not that double fee. You're getting a yeah. drop shipped directly from the printer location and there's no signature and that's fine. But here you go. Here's the book at the best possible price, right? That's, that's one route. And so I'm already happy doing that, but um, I, I, I think that it's, it might be the case that maybe I limit all the add-ons to say like, hey, Canadians, hey, Europeans, hey, everyone in Oceania, I I don't know that you want to do this because it's going to be a lot of surprising shipping costs. If you do, yeah. if you want to do it, just a heads up, these are our guest, best guesstimates of what it's going to cost you, but it's going to be a lot, you know, that kind of thing. So here's my only question. Why are you, do, if you're going to go through all of this, why yeah. not set it up through backer kit in the first place where you can fine tune. There will be no guesstimates on backer kit. It'll be, this is what the shipping is and they'll charge them in the moment. They can make the decision yay or nay. If you're going to go through all this in the first place, why not just do it? And I know I'll be the first one to say it's, I, it's the first thing that, that it's the reason I drag my feet every time I start a Kickstarter because setting up the backer kit is, is a a bit of a drudgery, but I'm telling you, like, I think my last one, I made an extra $6,000 on right. uh, just on add-ons through backer kit. So right. I can't not do it. But if you're going to go through all this in the first place, why not do it through a system that you're not going to have to guesstimate shipping? I'm very glad you asked that. Yeah. Uh, Beth and I have done a lot of math around backer kit, and there's two fees that backer kit charges. One yep. is, and I, do, I, I didn't anticipate you asking this question, so I don't have the specific numbers, but here we go. Uh, they have a, a set percentage of your overall Kickstarter total that they charge you right off the top, right? So yep. if you make, if you have a Kickstarter and it made $1,000, they're going to take a percentage of that $1,000. Yeah. And then there's a percentage of every add-on that you put into the backer kit 
uh, a, a cart, right? Mm-hmm. The problem is with the drive book, that drive book is going to kickstart at a 125,000, 130,000. That's a big ass chunk of just a solid percentage immediately going to Kickstarter, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and in addition, so like, I, I guess what I'm saying is we've done all the math and it doesn't really add up. It's like all this effort, all this Durham and Strang or Strang and Durham. I always get that German phrase wrong. Uh, all this, all this boom and kabah. And then I'm, I've ended up making a thousand extra dollars from backer kit. I'm not kidding. Yeah. I did. I did a lot of the math around it mm-hmm. and it just, for me, it doesn't add up with a drive book. I'd rather own and control that system make a little bit less in terms of add-ons, but have way more profit right yeah. off the bat because they're not yeah. taking from my gross, you know? Mm-hmm. So there's that. Okay, so anyway, that, that, but here, here are some of the solutions that Beth and I came up with for add-ons. One is you just say add-ons are only for Americans for all the reasons of shipping. I, we, we are going to eat yeah. the extra shipping costs, but the profits will make up for it. So it's, this is all fine. It's all water in the bridge. Go ahead, Americans, add on whatever you want. Or yeah. we can do this where we can say, Ebooks, everybody can go to town on ebooks. That's no problem at all. Flat items, uh, prints, postcards, uh, magnets, anything that can flat pack with your book that you're already getting, that can be also for international. Who cares? I'll eat the cost on that, right? Right. Or right. or I'll add on some, I'll, I'll build in some buffer for that item, right? Yeah. Uh, and then I could do, uh, I could add commissions on there because I will happily eat the costs of shipping internationally for a $200, $300, $400 commission. Mm-hmm. Or original art for the same reasons. I will happily eat the cost of shipping internationally for a $200, $300, $400 original art piece. So that's mm-hmm. what I was thinking. What are your thoughts about that? I wanted to run this by No, you. I think, it, well, especially because it's not a big deal to eat that cost on an international package because you're not doing media mail in the first place. And right. anything that in And it was going to have to be sep- shipped separately anyway, you know? Yeah. And, and yeah, and, and it's not going to add that much weight. So I think that's a very smart way to do it. Right. Uh, and, and just, uh, and, and to just say right up front, listen, the books are not on the table for international shipping, especially those drive books. Cause they're huge. Yeah. They're like three, three <laughs> and these and are, pounds. these are thick books. So you could go into the hole very, very quickly shipping those right. internationally. Right. Uh, so let me ask you this, I, I, and, and this is a tangent. This is not what you came here to talk about today, but it's actually the most interesting thing from my own personal standpoint. How did you set up the drop shipping? Uh, I have a, um, a it's, it's not the printer, but it's literally a trucked away. I, I, so I send 90% of the books to me, right? Mm-hmm. And then I ship about 10% to a fulfillment center, which is right across town. So it, it trucks across town. And that's that's a version of the book. And anyway, that fulfillment center has drop shipping uh, 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 coordinated around the world. So they handle it. It's someone that I've contracted with. I actually like them. And uh, it seems to do a pretty good job of getting 95% of the packages there. Uh, there's, there's always a wrinkle. For whatever reason, Italy always gets lost. I don't know what it is with <laughs> Italian mail. So what do you do? You just send them, you just send them a, a spreadsheet of orders and they just yes, pack them and ship that's them? That's exactly what they do. Yep. The, the, I set a spreadsheet. Wow, and, that's cool. And some countries require very specific bits of detail. Uh, I, I want to say like Belarus or something. You have to give a bunch of contact information for the backer, which is fine because you collect it. But yeah, um, there's one Eastern European country that requires an, an ungodly amount of contact information for the receiver. And I wonder if that's wow. because they've just had a history of, of package theft that they're like, we're going to get a bunch of contact information. Yeah. All yeah. this to say is I think it's a net positive that Kickstarter is working in this add on feature into Kickstarter. Yes. It's one of yeah. those things where they might end up eating backer kits lunch because... 
why would you do backer kit unless backer kit can right. offer this functionality like you have enjoyed i don't particularly yeah. enjoy it but you have enjoyed it and a lot of people have um and uh so we'll see how it goes it's just interesting to see I wish there was a, a weight-based and dimension-based way to say, look, yeah. this is not the fi- the final number, but even if I could get close to charging someone from Australia yeah. at the point of the pledge for what that mm-hmm. add-on would cost me, I would feel so much better as a person than, hope you like what you're going to get charged two months from now. <laughs> you know? <laughs> no, that's absolutely true. And the whole idea of the add-on is going gonna, is gonna to improve Kickstarter overall because... So many of us doing Kickstarters until we started figuring out how to do add add-ons, whether it was through Backerkit or whatever, had to come up with all of these tiers that right. tried to anticipate all yes. the stuff from our back catalog that you might want, and it got very very complicated very fast. So now, what as soon as I started using Backerkit and you with using Kickstarter add-ons. Now you can have a nice streamlined tier list where it's like, here's what you get. Here's what you get. Here's what you get. Now take a look over there. That's my entire library. You can add, you know, certain things on at your whim and it, it, it makes it so much better. And, and by the way, I see this happen all the time. They, they uh, pledge for the tier on, you know, in May. And then later on when the, you're, getting ready to get their address information. You send that out in June. And it's like, that, that's where backer kit is pretty brilliant. They go, by the way, one last chance. You want to add anything on? Right. There's a whole wave of more add-ons at that point. Right. Cause it's like, uh, yeah, I've already spent my money. <laughs> you know, I've, I've got money to spend this month and you get a little wave at that point. Uh, separating that out is going to make Kickstarter in general a much, much t- uh, a more effective crowdfunding app. Yeah, I think uh, I'm, I'm with you that I think it's going to make Kickstarter better. I'm happy that they're yeah. doing it. Uh, it's interesting, the problems and the questions that pop up now that it exists in terms of implementation. But yeah. overall, like you, I think there is con- consumer psychology one of one. If once yeah. someone's already committed to, to pledging for a drive book or an evil link book, Upselling them with a, a bumper sticker, with a poster, with a print, with a pin is a is a no brainer. So uh, I, I I did it myself actually on something that I backed recently on Kickstarter is that I got upsold and I was I was yeah. fascinated to see my own reaction of like yep uh, they happily upsold me I added some stuff onto the cart <laughs> I'm in I'm yeah. in and happy about it yeah, yeah well yeah. listen Dave. I've got another question from a $5 Patreon backer, and uh, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on this. This comes in from Oxfordinary, uh, who says, what are your thoughts on coloring traditionally versus coloring digitally? What are the oh. pros and cons of each method? Is there a specific traditional medium that you feel better for making comics? Uh what do you think, Dave? Uh, we uh, most of the time when we are talking uh, coloring, we're talking about digital coloring. Uh, this person is interested in traditional coloring, whether that would be watercolor or colored pencil or paint. Or uh, uh, what are your thoughts on doing a comic that is colored traditionally? Well. It's funny to feel my reaction on this because my reaction, my immediate reaction was like coloring it traditionally. And it's funny how that's, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's only a decade or two of coloring digitally that I, has completely turned my heart. Now, I, my immediate caveat is to say, listen, 
40,000 years of, of humans making art, we have colored traditionally, right? That yeah, caveman yeah. in the cave in Lasco, France did not have Photoshop or Comic Studio, you know, whatever whatever digital coloring application you might have. Right. So the long, much longer history of coloring traditionally, and you absolutely can do it. And I think both Brad and I think that there is nothing wrong artistically with, uh, I, although I shouldn't speak for Brad yet, we haven't heard from him. Um, there's nothing wrong with saying, I'm going to put in my 10,000 hours and I'm going to get amazing at watercolor. I'm going to put in my 10,000 mm-hmm. hours and I'm going to get amazing at pastels or amazing at uh, a form of crayon or something. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, nothing wrong with that. I, I just think uh, much like word processing where the keyboard has so fundamentally made better the process of a typewriter Mm-hmm. And if it, I don't know if there's anybody in our audience that remembers using a typewriter, but there was <laughs> such frustration when you had a page 90% done yeah. and it was looking perfect. And then you just fucked up at the last, it's, it's so messed up at the end. And you're like, God, this, all of this work, all this typing is just ruined yes. by this last line of type. And yep. like, oh, I wish I could move this entire paragraph up here. Everything that word processing uh, can do is just better on a digital format than it was in writing. Mm-hmm. Now, all that to being said, there are, of course, still novelists that still write with uh, with a with a uh, a typewriter, some with a yeah. very specific typewriter that they haven't changed. Um, so, yes, I think you can absolutely nothing wrong with it. A hundred percent. You go uh, work traditionally. I just think for all the reasons similar to word processing, coloring digitally in terms of the minor adjustments in hue and tone and value, uh, the moving around, the, the experimentation, and then the taking back of experimentation and trying a different way, all of that is possible with digital that you can't get in traditional. Brad, what are your thoughts? Yeah, well, I, so here's the deal. I've got no problem aesthetically between the idea of traditional coloring and digital coloring. Uh, coloring. The problem is, uh, it, it, it is going to come up when you finally go to print those. Yes. And because comics have black lines and words that are printed in black ink, uh, the problem that you may get, and I'm underlining may, uh, is when you go to print those, because uh, since you're doing this as a traditional, uh, situation, you're going to have one chance to scan that in. The black right. is going to show up on all four plates, cyan, magenta, yellow, and black. And that means that there's a certain amount of chance that is uh, that your final image is going to be printed out of register. That means when one of the inks is a little bit uh, off position, and that's going to make your lines and your words a little bit blurry. Now, having said that, <laughs> today you you're, first of all you're talking to a person that learned printing in newspapers where they were printing these things you know overnight on terrible paper on machines that were running way faster than they probably should have been running and being out of register was very common yes. okay yeah uh so i after 20 years in the newspaper industry uh, the worries about registration have been have been uh, firmly concreted into my brain. I can't not worry about it. Today's printing presses, particularly on a book project, uh, the, the chances of you being out of register on a book are much smaller than yes. they were in newspapers. Yes. You, this is uh, and 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 chances are it's it's going to be out of register to the point that only you and a couple people like me who are obsessed about it would even notice. Your fans are probably not going to notice. So uh, should this keep you up at night? 
No, I don't think it's yeah. It's it's something that you should be aware of. Uh, but uh, it's going to make certain things like registration and trapping. And I got to take a quick pause here and mention Kevin McShane, our friend uh, Dave, wrote in with a question about trapping. I did a dissertation on that on the Comic Lab uh, Discord server, talking about trapping and how to set that up. Uh, if if anybody wants that, they can uh, sign into the Discord. It's it's one of those topics that is so visual; it would really be difficult to do it on the show. Right, so, and I will I will interject your interjection just to remind yeah. everyone that uh, when you join patreoncom comiclab you get access to that Discord server, which has frankly an amazing array of uh, am pro am amateur and pro. Uh, feedback, content, advice, tips, uh, especially the one like Brad just mentioned right there that you mm-hmm. won't get elsewhere. And so uh, that's a great, the one on trapping is a great bit of advice on that one. Yeah, and, and it, it goes right into, you know, how, how that's set up. Now, uh, the problem is you really can't do trapping uh, when you're doing traditional, uh, scanning your your traditional art for print either. Yes. So, uh, and, and again, with today's, and, you know, today's printing is way better than it was. Even, yeah, yeah, in specifically fact, Brad, offset. Yeah, I I will tell you that much like uh, computers have helped uh, word processing, have helped digital coloring. They've also yeah. helped with misregistration. A lot of those yeah. plates are digitally controlled. So you no yeah. longer have the 55-year-old guy with the hand sledge going, Kang, yeah. Kang, Kang, literally, trying to adjust literally. the plate. I know. Yeah. And now you have a computer that gently edges it over and they can they can do a run of 100, check the registration. What I'm saying is yep. computers have helped out even there. Keep yes. going. I'm sorry to interrupt. So, but, uh, so it is it, it's something that would always be in the back of my mind. Is right. it going to affect you? Probably not. All of yeah. which to say uh, one of the great things about comics is kind of the democratization of the medium. Yes. And uh, this is yet another way in which you can say this is how I'm doing my comic. And I don't think uh, it's, it, I think the chances are very slim that it would hold you back. Well, I want to tell you too about the problems with scanning uh, digital art or, or traditional yeah. art, excuse me. Oh yeah. Uh, I have done a fair amount of traditional coloring. Not a lot. I would say maybe only about a hundred Sheldons in the archive. Have I traditionally mm-hmm. or, or using, using usually grayscale. I tried that for a, a while where I was trying to do 1950s comics and I was trying to do them in that UPA style. I don't know if you remember that, yeah. but I, I did it with uh, hand grays scanned. Okay. Didn't print great. And frankly, didn't, didn't scan great. But what I'm, what I'm getting at is here is that watercolor specifically, and even some pastels, boy, is scanning a pain in the ass. It's, it's hard to get the tone right. It's hard to fix it in Photoshop. And the best, I continually, to my dying day, I will be so thankful to Larda Souza of Looking for Group because yeah. Watterson <laughs> sends me this, uh, Bill Watterson <laughs> sends me this watercolor for Stripped. Yeah. And I go, holy shit, Bill, this is amazing. How do, any tips for how you scanned uh, Calvin Hobbes so that it came out great? And he goes, you're on your own. Good luck. I never ta- I never touched that part of the process. And I was like, wait, you just sent the the publisher your watercolor cover? He goes, yeah, I would, I would. He went through this whole thing about how it took him like five passes to do a book cover because he was a perfectionist and he would watercolor the whole thing and then one tiny bit was misaligned. He'd be like, ah, I got it. Because he would do a black plate and then a separate watercolor plate. Do you know how hard that is to do, to do that right? And so 
his Calvin and Hobbes, he would send them a, a full black plate. By plate, I mean a full black uh, black ink on white paper, and then send yep. them a totally separate, just watercolor fills right. on a separate piece, and they would scan and connect them, right? And he probably lined that up like on a light box, and yes. it sounds like it sounds like it would be the easiest thing to do. Just just put it on a light box and then just put it over top. Oh my God! <laughs> if you've he, ever tried to do that, it's way more difficult than that. He he, and he is a master of watercolor. He said it yeah. would take him four or five tries to get it right. For yeah. anyway, long story short, he sends me this original. I take it because I I really want to get this looking right for the poster. So I take it to a friend of mine who works in advertising who had an incredible scanner that could scan like something ridiculous, like twenty thousand DPI. It was something ridiculous, yeah. like one of those fifty thousand dollar scanners. I take it over there. She scans it for me. Uh, I bring it back and I'm like, okay, now how do I clean up this watercolor for print so that the blacks and the and like for the separate plates and the registration? Yes. Like I don't know how to do this. Laura Souza saved my ass with a really detailed step of like, here's how you make a watercolor ready for print. And so to my dying day, I'm going to be so thick. Because even Waterson was like, I don't know. I just sent it to the printer and they did it. I don't know how to do it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. And, and Lara, as usual, came through with just the right advice. Oh my God. Such great <laughs> advice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think the, the bottom line on this is absolutely follow your passion. If your passion is for traditional yes. art, if watercolor yeah. or pastels or anything else fires you up, colored pencils, go with it. Great. It's going to be a little tricky on the scanning to get it right. To yeah. Brad's point, it's going to be a little bit tricky when it comes to preparing uh, for the plates for printing for four color pass. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, honestly, you part of it is that 10,000 hours will be part of that will be you learning how to get both of those things right. And that's OK. Right. So right. Uh, I personally would say digital coloring is more uh, I don't want to say it's it's more flexible, more amenable to change, more yes. uh, controllable for the final product. But we all know that a traditionally colored piece looks different. It looks yes. in some ways more handmade, more crafted than anything digitally done. So there is power to that too, right? I, yeah. and I'm saying to you that 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 uh, even though I like digital coloring for all of what I can do control wise, there is something special about a watercolored piece. So. Uh, Brad, you put the final capstone on this one. Well, uh, listen, when we're talking about coloring, I only have one more thing to say is that you can color me happy because I've got a chance to spend another hour with Dave Kellett talking comics. Ah, oh, ah, oh, and I didn't get bit in the process. That's the best <laughs> that, part. That's right. For my 24 hours, that's, that's the right. best part of the... That's well, you know my bark is much worse, but you've been listening to Comic Lab, the show about making comics and making a living from comics. Your hosts have been my good friend, Brad Geiger, the editor of webcomics.com and the creator of Evil Inc. at evil-comic.com. And my friend Dave Kellett, the co-director of the comics documentary Stripped and the cartoonist of Sheldon at sheldoncomics.com and Drive at drivecomic.com. And just a reminder, you can watch the show weekly as we record it live and chime in with everybody else and join the group over at patreon.com slash comic lab at the $10 level. It is Comic Lab Live Gab. And the Comic Lab theme song is used with permission from Andy Creighton at theworldrecord.net. And this episode and all episodes was edited by Matt Woodard of Woodsong Productions over at www.woodsong.media. If you love Comic Lab, you can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, and you may hear your review featured on a future episode. And Comic Lab is made possible by your support on Patreon.com slash Comic Lab. So we'll go ahead and say that twice. Patreon.com slash Comic Lab.
traveling older Brad Geiger coming back in time to talk to you, young Brad Geiger. Ha-ha! Although, wait, if I say it like that, I sound like, ha-ha, the girl on fire! Ha-ha-ha, Katniss Everdeen. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. I'm trying to do the Brad Geiger time-traveling lab. Okay, so I'm okay. time-traveling Brad Geiger. I'm, I'm 50, and I'm coming back to talk to 20-year-old Brad Geiger. Hello, Brad! Ha-ha! It's me, time-traveling Brad. What the f- what the hell happened to my stomach? Ha <laughs> ha! Time and tide come for every man, Brad. All right, I'm here to tell you, Brad, this comic strip about a gargoyle, where it's, it's not going to work, Brad. Brad, it's not going to work. Do I get pregnant in the future? Is that it? Is- Let me tell you, Brad, you've just... Le- Listen, I've got some things I also need to tell you about a pandemic. You're going to do a lot of Ben and Jerry's eating for, for about 15 months. You're going to mainly stay inside. You're going to do a lot of pandemic eating. You're really going to eat your feelings. But here's the good news. The rest of the world is also going to be eating their feelings. We're all going to come out and, and we're all going to have... We're all going to be buying a lot of dad shirts, dad bod shirts. All right. Oh, listen. But listen, uh, well, the important thing is, uh, at least I'm, I, I get into newspapers eventually, right? I mean, I can handle a pandemic. Just tell me I get into newspapers. Brad, <laughs> I've got some bad news about newspapers. <laughs>